and you're listening. And you're listening. You're listening to Sam and Pink Sam. Sam and Sam. To Sam and Fest Radio. Hello and welcome to Salmon Fest Radio. This is our second episode of our second season. Thank you for joining. We're your hosts, Dave. And Satchel. And we're about to transport you through the miracles of modern technology back to Salmon Fest 2021 at the Nanilchik Fairgrounds, our 10th installment of Salmon Fest. And uh, we've distilled that program, and I think we've brought together some terrific music and interviews, and I think you're going to enjoy the trip. But before we get too far down the road, we should recognize the people that have lived here before us and who've cared for the state forever and share this land with us. So we want to recognize the Sukpiak and Denina people who uh, uh, took care of this place here around and including Kachemak Bay and Homer, where we're recording today's broadcast. I think we're going to hear one of the one of my favorite interviews from Salmon Fest 2021 up at beautiful Nanilchik, Alaska, or for many of you down at beautiful Nanilchik, Alaska, at the uh, state fairgrounds and adjoining surrounds, Salmon Fest. 2021 brought us uh, musicians including Whiskey Class. Right. Our featured band is an Alaskan band. They're from Southeast and they also kind of inhabit the Northwest Seattle area these days, but they're called Whiskey Class. And for folks that saw them at Salmon Fest, you saw them as a full live band. But if you've listened to them on some of their recorded studio work, it's it's a great duo of Southeast Alaskans who really care about this place. And you can hear that in their in their music. We're also featuring today an interview with uh, salmon champions, people that are trying to protect and perpetuate our favorite fish. Who did you find and tell us about uh, our interview today? Yeah, I was really excited to interview a pair of researchers and professors, Dr. Courtney Crothers and Dr. Jessica Black. They are both professors at the University of Fairbanks and they're working on a project called Indigenizing Salmon Science and Management and really thinking about how we can best incorporate more indigenous voices and perspectives in our work to secure the future of salmon in Alaska. But before we dive into those interviews, let's hear from our featured artists, Whiskey Class.
That was Whiskey Class from the Ocean Stage at SalmonFest 2021. Now let's travel backstage to our comfy little uh, tent and studio recording session to get to know the band a little bit better. Uh, I'm Patrick. I played drums in this live version, but in the recordings, I kind of do it all, guitar, keyboard, sing a little bit too, write some songs. Um, I'm Liz. I sing and play some guitar. I'm Alan. I'm playing bass in the live band. Uh, I'm Alex. Uh, I play guitar and keys in the live band and in the recordings, just kind of sprinkle. Secret weapon. Yeah, just bass, guitar, keys, right. anything, you know. Uh, so the band started in 2012 at the Alaska Folk Festival in Juneau, Alaska. It's so fun. One of the best festivals, second to Salmon Fest, of course. But we met in high school. I believe someone gave me Liz's MSN messenger. Because <laughs> I mean, Liz yeah. is from Juneau, and I'm from Ketchikan. And so we met that way and did Folk Fest and then made an album over seven years it would be called 48 Hours because we only had 48 hours together whenever we would like make the album. Because she lived in Juneau, I lived in Seattle, I lived in California, she lived in Portland for a while, Bellingham, we were like all over, the we were never together. But now we live in Seattle together and we're doing this live version of the band because some of our recordings is like electronic, groovy in that way. And then so now we're doing the live thing and that's where these guys come in. And it's, it's a different sound, but man, is it uh, special. Liz, anything you want to add to that? That's, that was a pretty, yeah, no, that was that was it. Covered it. It's been a, a blast. It's it's very different. The recording, the production, whiskey class, and then the, the live band whiskey class. I feel like it's completely different. Yeah, uh, I've known Alex for 15 years now. Yeah, if not more. We uh, Pat and I met in high school playing music together. I grew up in Juneau. Liz and I kind of knew each other peripherally in, in high school, but then met Pat just through the you know school band travel scene in southeast and clicked pretty quickly on just music and i think humor's pretty big i think we're all locked in with a pretty pretty out there sense of humor i don't know uh, a lot of fun lingo and stuff gets thrown around uh but yeah pat and i um have been in various music projects since you know since high school many different kind of genres that we've spanned and been on different instruments and with completely different types of people different genres different locations you know and it's easy for us to lock in on any sort of project you know no matter what kind of style no matter what other people were playing with you know and we, I was a fan of whiskey class even before I started playing with them and you know obviously and I've, I've played on a bunch of the uh, whiskey class recordings you know Pat would just kind of show up at my house over the past five or six years and be like need a bass line on this need a keyboard line on this and then five years later it's on an album you know and, and uh, so that, that was kind of the challenge of getting it ready for a live performance is sort of parsing out you know what what we want to take kind of the, from the essence of the recorded song because there's no way you know we could have 15 Liz's on stage you know doing some crazy layered harmonies so it's just kind of a fun challenge and it makes it a unique different kind of sound and a new kind of puzzle to figure out. Yeah and as a, a relative newcomer to this group you know I've known Pat for a few years I've played music my whole life but the songwriting style here is something that I haven't worked with before and it's really cool the recordings I was shown are all like you know pretty produced electronic stuff and I thought I'd be going into these practices learning these songs which I, I was but what I didn't realize is we're just coming up with a whole different instrumentation for this 
relying entirely on the underlying skeleton song structure, which is something I've heard in like old folk bluegrass standards, you know, where they can be played so many different ways. And But this is the first time that I've been part of a group where there's just like a song skeleton that can get built upon in like several different directions. And it takes a certain quality of songwriting to be able to build, build it out as like two completely different songs. They're the same song, but totally different instrumentation. The first time I saw or heard your guys' music was actually last year when we weren't doing Salmon Fest and you guys contributed a song to Salmon Fest Dreaming for Bristol Bay, our virtual production. And you guys really stood out as a band that I hadn't known before and really enjoyed. And it was because your voice is really beautiful. Mm. What? How do you characterize your music? Mm. What's your music that you're playing here now? What's the sound? What genres do you pull from or identify with? Kind of all over the board. I don't know. We have a, we've kind of evolved in the last year to more like less electronic sounding and more uh, live instruments with some of the newer stuff we wrote, we're writing. And uh, we also have a new EP coming out in November. I don't it's know. Like super it's super electronic. But yeah, it's... that one's very, yeah, it's hard to say. Man, music it's is hard just to dope, you know? Generalize. It's hard to generalize. Or... But sure. I, I think makes whiskey class whiskey class is uh there's something about liz and her songwriting and the way it uh all comes together it's just like i always joke you can't look into liz's eyes because you will like fall in love you know <laughs> <laughs> she shakes her head that. yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah. her voice is like it's just next level yeah it's and that's what's cool about whiskey class is i love the music because i love writing songs with liz and like when we do harmonies together or when we stack Liz's harmonies on top of each other, it like makes me just feel good in a sense. Well, we feature some of your music on the show and we recorded your set as well. Is there a, a particular song or a couple songs that you really want our listeners to hear? And what's sort of the story behind those songs? I think uh, Flicker of Light, which goes into another song, Date, is a cool song uh, that my dad wrote the lyrics to. But as Rachel feels, but as Rachel, you know, <laughs> feels weird. Um, but he wrote the words to these song to that song, and he's actually done that before for us, where it's like, I'm like, Dad, you should hook us up with some lyrics. And he wrote the song. It's about like the life cycle of salmon, and then we made the the song to it. Cool. And that song sounds pretty cool with the live band. And I think that's one of those songs that we, it's like super electronic in the recording and spaced out and layers upon layers of Liz and cool spacey stuff but we kind of captured that with the live band so i think that one's pretty dope that's my pick anyone else i mean save what you love that's yeah. just like a, i mean it was written for another salmon rachel another rachel lyrics. uh lyrics <laughs> and save what you love i think is also a good one because it's like it's about how do you save what you love Absolutely. which is kind of what we're doing here right? that's what we're doing here these waterborne creatures are our connection to the world Feeding our bodies, they are the gateways to our souls. Spirits of the ocean, children of the sea, reaching out and diving down somebody's spoken. Gesture in a fin 
the sparkling scale, a glint of silver lightly shimmering by the darkened skull, the bronzed golden eye, nourishing flesh.
whiskey class, and you're, you're listening, listening to Salmon Fest Radio. Thank you. 
You're listening to Salmon Fest Radio. Let's get back to our interview with Whiskey Class. So what makes you passionate? What what do you love when you are saying say what you love? Uh, I don't know if this is divulging too much information, but three of us out of four of us in the band are sober. So we don't use drugs or alcohol. And uh, for me, that Say What You Love song is also about salmon and all that stuff. But it's also about our journeys in like saving what you love as in yourself and life and music and playing music and all that stuff. So that, like I played that song like a month ago and like cried my eyes out when I was back in Ketchikan. Because uh, it was just like so powerful and it's, it's cool to have that experience with your own song. But I think that's, that's what's cool about salmon and, and trees and stopping logging and uh, all that stuff is it's like we're all connected. We're all part of this thing. And when any of that goes out of whack, like you feel it in your soul and you feel it just like in the ripples throughout time and space. And is it important to you to bring that into your music and into what you like your platform when you get out on stage? I think so, because when you are singing songs, you can have this super beautiful melody and be singing something about how you just ripped off your cousin or something and you lost the love of your life. Because, I mean, sadness and and destruction, it's all a part of life. So it's like, how do we accept that stuff in a positive way? Mm-hmm. Did that make sense? Was that... Growth, man. Yeah. Growth yeah, in the darkness. Darkness yeah. and light, you know? The yin and the yang. I think, too, like, you know, since most of the bands from Alaska, you know, we've, you know, we grew up around just the completely different level of natural beauty and resources and everything we grew up with. And I know for me, particularly, you know, being born and raised in Southeast, you get kind of desensitized or whatever to the idea, or it just becomes, you know, just part of your background. You know, you don't really think about it until you contrast it with living in another place and really kind of puts it in perspective of what we have up here and you want to hang on to that and you know have this always be here and know that it's protected and people care about it doing what we can in whatever way to get that message out there that it's worth protecting and worth keeping an eye on and keeping it preserved and healthy. Well we are at Salmon Fest and that's kind of what this whole festival is all about um, using music to spark collective action in the realm of salmon and salmon habitat protection can you guys talk about your relationship with salmon? Do you guys, I, you've moved on from Alaska, but do you still incorporate salmon into your meals or do you remember fondly of your salmon experiences from back home? I, I have a confession to make. I hate salmon. Uh, the Eating them, yeah, eating them. The creature, I hate the, the creature. Yeah, yeah. The creature, just get out of here. Um, no, I can't, and geez, it's been a point of awful contention my entire life, and just my Alaskanness gets questioned all the time, but but in a way, I'm preserving the salmon more by not eating them than all of you posers, you know, out there That's just gobbling up all the healthy it. salmon, uh, but no, but, you know, obviously I understand the impact and the ecological side of it, you know, want to keep them around, let's keep them around, but just not on my plate, please, get it out. <laughs> I, I love eating salmon, and I've been kicking around the Northwest for quite some time now. Um, as I understand it, you know, this is my first time in Alaska, so it, it's pre- pretty amazing so far. But as I understand it, the salmon are, are very much a part of the, the Northwest. Yeah, I'm not an expert on the topic, but what I've learned about salmon as kind of a linchpin of the entire ecosystem here is pretty awesome. You know, it, coming up against the, like, fish worship cult thing, just being like, what is going on here, you know? And then seeing back through history the high levels of like 
um, native indigenous civilization that was possible just because of the richness of the landscape and all of that it makes a lot of a lot of sense and really amazing how a single creature can kind of feed that entire extremely lush and biodiverse ecosystem with its kind of sacrificial lifestyle yeah I, I mean I grew up salmon fishing with my dad and just on the boat every other week and um, it's a huge part of my childhood and it's a huge part of my connection to Alaska and it's it's like deep within my soul um, living in Alaska and being an Alaskan is like our, our salmon yeah like we need them absolutely uh, I've done some work in Seattle working for a podcast and doing some video work for uh, some Bristol Bay conservation and stuff like that so uh, I mean salmon are just uh, they're so inspiring the way the, the way that they live life and uh, they're, they're also just very beautiful and they helped feed me as a child because my dad drew them my whole life so you guys um, had a great pitch or encouraging Alaskans to continue to keep their eye on Pebble Mine and keep staying engaged and active in, in the process of, of fighting against it when we did streaming for Bristol Bay. And um, do you guys take opportunities to sort of direct action when you're on stage? I know that you sing about it, but when you get there and you have the mic, do you, do you try to bring people together in that way? That's like a new, this is like a new thing for me to like sing about actual things that I care about um, that are outside of myself. And I've kind of in the last two years, like he said, we're um, in recovery and I've kind of had to like reestablish my entire relationship with music. And I feel a lot of that coming through with this new like rebirth and like wanting to like talk more sing more about things that matter in the bigger picture it's a dream to eventually yeah get to that point absolutely that'd be great it'd be amazing i think it's also a trip when you're singing these songs how do you save what you love flicker of light about the life cycle of salmon these songs that like have pretty deep meaning but you're like you're just you kind of think of it as just, as just a song because we're just the artist but when people are hearing that stuff and hearing how do you say what you love, you gotta turn to music, you gotta turn to beauty, all the gold in the mountain ain't worth the silver of the sea. All those lines are like so true and they actually like mean something. So you don't need to take yourself so seriously on stage, but it's also like we're singing about something that's like important. So take action if you can, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Can you guys talk a little bit more about your experience at Salmon Fest and how it is special to you or different than other places you play music? Yeah, I, th I mean, this is my first time to Salmon Fest, and, you know, even though I grew up in Juneau, I mean, the distance between here and there is the same distance from Seattle to L.A., essentially, and so, I mean, there's so much that changes just environmentally with climate, geography, people, everything, and so, you know, even though it's just technically still my home state, it's just, it's a completely different facet of it that you wouldn't get in pretty much any other states not this size and so I don't know yeah I mean also this is my first show I've been to or played at since before the pandemic so it's see it's a perfect place to plug in and not feel overwhelmed and feel like you're part of something bigger and at least working towards making a difference and it feels very very good for the soul to kind of just jump back into it in a place like this for me at least so everybody's here for a cause and like I'm not used to playing music 
in places that are focused on something. It's, you know, just to play music, to play music, and maybe connect, but not connect on um, something as important as saving our salmon. And uh, I don't know, it's been a beautiful experience so far. I'm excited for the rest of the weekend and stoked to be here. I think it's tied that this isn't like a this isn't like the Heineken podcast about how to save salmon. It's like the it's like the uh, yeah it's salmon fest radio. That's all it is. It's not. It's just uh, it's by the people for the people, and all the people get to enjoy it. Um. Well, guys, I I mean we could talk about a lot of things. I wanted to give you the floor a little bit more to talk about your experience through the pandemic as a band. How do you cope through a pandemic? Uh, well, somehow Liz and I recorded a new EP during the pandemic and got signed to a small label out of Chicago. So it's like the dream kind of happened for us during all this time. So, and then now, and then we got to come here, we got to play at the virtual Salmon Fest. I mean, it was like, wasn't that brutal for me. Yeah, it was okay for me. I feel like Patrick and I did a lot of really important songwriting throughout yeah. the pandemic. And we kind of, like I said, I've been like re-establishing my relationship with music and kind of starting to write more songs that are meaningful and important and bigger than just me and my life. It's great. It was a great like timing just for like this group because by the time stuff started to open up again and we were there was talks about coming up to Salmon Fest, it was it was perfect because they had had, you know, with all the work they had done in the pandemic, you know, there was this body of work kind of ready to go. Felt like, okay, there's, there is light at the end of this tunnel, you know, there's something that we have, we can, there's something concrete we can work for, you know, that isn't just like us kind of climbing out of the cave again, like, what do we do? You know, there was some direction. And so props to them for staying productive because it was tough for <laughs> me and I know many, many other people. So. Well, it sounds like you guys were able to use the time well. I wanted to end on just what your vision is for the future, and maybe that's in your world, like for your band, but it could also be bigger. Like, what do you imagine for the future? What do you hope for the future? Those two things might be different. I guess topical since we were just talking about like the pandemic and then thinking about salmon and like returns and uh, thinking about the people that are in office in Alaska and our former president, it's like, Man, you gotta trust the science. You gotta trust the people that were put there to do their job and trust the people of Bristol Bay. Trust like the natives there and trust that they know what they're talking about and trust that salmon aren't just this commodity that we can shut off. So more of this. That's 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 what I got. Now that we're relaxed and refreshed, let's visit our salmon champions for this episode. Satcho, would you reintroduce our our two guests? This next interview, we're talking to two Alaskans, Courtney Crothers and Jessica Black, about how to expand the decision-making table of the people who are managing these vital salmon landscapes and incorporating indigenous voices in a meaningful way to that table. As we dive into the interview, you'll hear their journeys and how they got started on this work. And they're really gonna highlight two projects they're working on, Indigenizing Salmon Science and Management and Demumpta. We're gonna start the interview hearing a little bit more about their journeys that brought them to this work. I grew up with my family along the Yukon River in Fort Yukon. Growing up at fish camp, I 
didn't really uh, quite understand the impact it would have on me later on in life. It was just something that we did. My grandparents, all my cousins, my parents, my large extended family would gather on the banks of the Yukon River every summer from June through August, preparing for the return of Flukcho or King Salmon and also what we call silver salmon, but are actually early fall chum and spent our days and evenings at fish camp working hard and sharing time together. I always say it's really where I became a person, learning my values and where I fit in within my family and community. And so that critical upbringing really impacted my health and well-being in a positive way and really set forth the path I'm on today, which is intimate relationship and involvement in the protection and care of our beautiful salmon species here in Alaska. And I will kick it over to Courtney. Yes, thank you, Jessica, and thank you for inviting us. Um, I'm a faculty member at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I am originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My family has Irish ancestry before that. I came originally to Alaska via the University of Washington in Seattle. I was working for NOAA Fisheries as a research assistant at the time and invited myself to go to the Kodiak Archipelago. So I was kind of based in three communities in Kodiak to do my PhD research. I was a anthropology student trying to understand about some of the cultural dimensions of fisheries that were completely missing in my education. I would take economics classes and the whole point of these economic classes were to maximize profit from fishing and, and minimize fishing effort. And as an anthropologist who really is interested in people and communities, I would question the economists like, wait, that fishing effort, isn't that people and boats and communities participating in fishing? And they'd say, yeah, yeah, the more of that, the more cost, the less profit. So the whole goal with a lot of these economic policies was to eliminate people from fishing so that those that were left could make more money. And I felt really, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, like a working class family, I just saw a lot of like big equity issues emerging in my head around fisheries and how they were governed. And the more time I spent in Alaska, you know, early on in, in the Kodiak region and in later years being able to partner with, with Dr. Black and other indigenous colleagues, just seeing the erasure of indigenous stewardship and governance and relation from you know, how we teach about and, and do research and, and govern fishery systems in Alaska. And I, I think in our Indigenizing Salmon Management Project, Dr. Black has been a, a leading Indigenous scholar kind of shaping how we do the work we do, how we center relationship and care, how we center youth and elders. A lot of what I learned in graduate school really transformed into a much better uh, way of thinking about what research is and, and who it's for and, and the goals of it. And so I've really tried to, in all of the work I'm doing, indigenizing salmon management and, and our new Damumta program, really tried to center this base inequity that exists and, and try to help write that as, as somebody that's trying to teach the next generation of fisheries students in our colleges and universities. Well, thank you guys. That's really exciting. I'm excited to learn more about both of these projects. Your stories are both really inspiring. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about sort of the nuts and bolts of indigenizing salmon science and management? What does that project look like in implementation? Indigenizing salmon management in Damumta are really about recognizing the inequities that exist and working to better include Indigenous people's communities, values, and ways of knowing in salmon science and management processes. And it recognizes that in salmon systems or salmon governance, these inequities really stem from the historical context of colonization and are perpetuated in current management systems. And we have several guiding questions that really lead our work. What do we learn about the strengths and weaknesses of our current management system when we view it from Indigenous perspectives? What are those values, knowledge systems, managing and governing mechanisms that can improve the long-term sustainability and equity of Alaska salmon systems? And then how can Indigenous values, knowledge, management, and governing mechanisms be better included in our current or alternative management systems? I think what's really cool about this project is that we are approaching it utilizing Indigenous methodologies such as circle dialogues, listening to stories, and ensuring that our research is appropriate and relevant to the communities and entities we are partnering with. We have Indigenous colleagues who are part of this project fundamentally shaping it and also carrying out the research. So this is truly a community-based project. It has just led to some really amazing interviews and circle dialogues. I'm so grateful for the knowledge and wisdom and the relationships we've built. And I think what we're finding is what I always knew to be true is that as an Indigenous person, our close relationship with salmon, that intimate spiritual relationship really positions us to be careful, considerate, and respectful stewards. And that's what we're finding in these preliminary interviews and circle dialogues. And who are the people that are normally in the room for these circle dialogues? We've hosted dialogues where it's been, you know, a mix of community members that wanted to visit in about salmon and their community and region. We've hosted racial equity dialogues at academic conferences and in kind of public meeting spaces where we're really trying to bring together Native and non-Native participants to share story in a circle and want to acknowledge um, First Alaskans Institute has trained us to host difficult dialogues in the Indigenous circle format way using Indigenous and really human value dialogue agreements about how to have a real conversation in a respectful way. And again, as a non-Native person in this work, it's been really powerful for me to participate in the circle dialogues, but also to witness other colleagues participating, you know, folks that might be 
fishery scientists or they might work at a state agency and they've never considered how some of these issues of racial inequity apply to them as, as non-native scientists, for example, who study fish. But to sit in dialogue and to share stories across our different experiences as Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in the state in a circle is very powerful. We talk a lot about deeply troubling and, and traumatic experiences of criminalization that's you know ongoing in our state where indigenous alaska native hunters and fishers are criminalized for living their traditional ways of life you know i'm just thinking of the state of alaska having a lawsuit against the federal subsistence board for enabling hunts for tribal communities during times of covid and, and just different ways in which very basic tribal rights and sovereignty are under threat. One of the objectives of the work is also working within the system, the, the state and federal systems of governance, to really start bringing awareness and, and hopefully a, a kind of transformation and how they might evolve to be better elevating Indigenous people and their knowledge systems and their sovereignty for decision making. So what, what are those ways that our agencies can make space for knowledge and values and tradition of indigenous people to have meaningful influence in the way that management is implemented? Just having recognized seats at decision-making tables. By recognized, I mean official seats at decision-making tables. You know, 10,000 plus years of stewardship, that is long-term data living in such close proximity to all of the places where salmon live and having daily outings out on the land. When you're out on the land, you are, of course, fishing. You're looking for opportunities to harvest, but you're also just observing in close detail everything that's happening and that knowledge is so critical, especially during these times of unprecedented change with things like climate change and then changing numbers of species. You know, a lot of my family and folks in my community are closely observing these changes and how they impact one another, that holistic viewpoint. And when we have these official seats at the table, we're bringing all of that knowledge to the table alongside Western science so that we can really see from this 30,000 foot view what is happening in real time to our land, our waters, and our animal species. Right now, you know, if I wanted to testify, at the Board of Fish, I would have three minutes to articulate everything that I know and I'm seeing and what I think should change. And that's just simply an environment that's not comfortable to many of my people who we come from cultures where storytelling and oration are very much central. We need time and we need to be able to educate others and share what we know so that we can collectively do what's best for salmon and all of the other uh, relatives that we rely on. So official seats at these decision-making tables, increased indigenous or tribal stewardships of lands, waters, and animals that 
literally are outside our front doorstep and then research that is co-produced truly meaning the best of western science the best of indigenous science together Uh, there's an approach called two-eyed seeing a two-eyed seeing approach that has been written about and promoted by elder albert marshall and dr andrea reed and in this approach you see from one eye through the western viewpoint and the other eye the indigenous viewpoint and together you're able to see clearly what's happening and that's what we're really talking about because without bringing indigenous knowledge and stewardship we've seen what's happened to many of our species uh, where i'm from we closely rely on the king salmon chinook we call it flukcho and it's experiencing crash really just really low numbers over the past 10 plus years and this past season we didn't even get to fish so we need everyone to be a part of the solution and especially my indigenous peoples who are connected spiritually to the salmon to be at the table what indigenous value systems do you think are missing from the table right now? There is a really important value in most indigenous cultures of relationality. And it's not just people to people, but people to non-human kin. And when people who aren't from that culture come in and they spend time with people in relationship, they start to see a small glimpse of that and begin to feel and understand that there is a difference the refuge managers or you know fishing game people you always knew the ones that were like the good ones because they had spent a lot of time with the people and even when they retired they would come back and share a cup of tea and spend time in the village and they They were considered the good ones because they truly cared not just for the sheep or the salmon or the moose, but the people of the place who lived in relationship to the things that they managed. What's really beautiful is that when we're talking about indigenizing salmon management, it's for everyone. One of our other projects that Courtney is the PI of, maybe she could speak to, is Damumpta. And in the Sukpiak and Yupik language, it means all of us. And that is such a beautiful title that we received from some of our colleagues in Kodiak region. And that's how we view the world, not to indigenize salmon management for ourselves, but for all of us, Damamta, because we are expected to share, we are expected to you know, gift our first salmon or bring back our harvest and share with all of those who are unable to fish for themselves. And we think of the world in a holistic way. We have that respect for all of our relations. So what benefits us in the salmon benefits everyone. It's just a different way of thinking. And when people spend time in our communities and at our fish camps and in our in our spaces, they begin to understand that, but they really need to spend that time. 
Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. It's really ringing true that the benefit of bringing Indigenous people, the people that will be affected first and the most by the potential loss of our salmon runs to the spaces who are trying to prevent that because it's bringing a sense of humanity into the room and it's bringing this foundational value system of respect and helps us look at it beyond sort of just the numbers. Just really beautiful thoughts there and, and to build a little on Demumpta. This is a new project funded by the National Science Foundation to transform our, our graduate programs and to support indigenous students to get their graduate degrees in, in fisheries and marine sciences and indigenous sciences to really be the next generation taking over this work and, and leading, thinking about the best ways to utilize that two-eyed seeing and trying to transform how we educate students at the university about fisheries systems. Again, recognizing that Western sciences coming from a European worldview has been a dominant force, you know, of colonization, but continues in the way that we teach, you know, whose expertise, whose way of knowing, whose way of thinking is dominant in the system. And just the recognition that Western science is, is a knowledge system. It's a knowledge system, not, you know, the knowledge system. And it's got its own norms and values and common sense concepts embedded within it. So having students in partners go through that reflection of the the values that underlay Western science and how that might look very different and does look very different in indigenous sciences and being able to respect the pluralism, the, the multiplicity of that. And so I think that gives me some hope with our governing systems, just the first step of recognizing currently we have a formal governance system that's based entirely on Western science in an indigenous place, in a place where the Western science is only, you know, what, uh, decades old versus, you know, 10,000 plus years. So that kind of recognition, I think, can go a long way to thinking about what, what these systems could look like, bringing together indigenous science and Western science, you know, in every step of a process. It sounds like really important work. It's always important to check our assumptions. I'm really curious about Demumpta. Can you talk more about how long it's been a program and when will the first students graduate? We were funded by NSF in 2020 and we spent our first year kind of developing new coursework and getting the program, the legs and structure that it needed. And we had our first cohort start this fall, so fall 2021. We have nine indigenous students pursuing their graduate degrees through the program. Those that will be completing master's degrees will probably finish, I guess, next year or the year after. We're hoping to have at least three cohorts of students complete their degree through the program and carrying on some of the work of indigenizing salmon management with our racial equity dialogues and really trying to, to bring along universities and state and federal agencies into this you know, transformative work. We're hopeful this will grow. It already seems to be growing and we're super excited. The fellows are the real heart of the program and they're already leading amazing change in their communities and regions and doing really powerful research. This work that we're involved in is really close to our hearts and we're passionate about it. And we truly believe that it will 
help to improve the long-term sustainability and equity of the Alaska salmon system for the benefit of everyone. And so we're just so excited to be on this journey together with our colleagues and with our students. And we have high hopes for the future. So thank you for this time. Maybe anything we've we've said in this session, you know, invites some curiosity and thought for your listeners. And we are, as Jessica said, deeply committed to this work and, and always available. We would love to host a dialogue in a community that might welcome us in. We are also developing some short courses for communities, for agencies, for professionals. We're easy to find on the UAF website and Demumpta website and Digitizing Salmon Science and Management website. We're just excited for this work and excited to be in relationship with, with everyone as we do the work. Well, that was our second episode of Salmon Fest Radio Season 2, and we've got a lot of people we want to acknowledge. I want to thank our friends at KBBI here in Homer, Alaska. I want to thank Pastor Tim for recording music on the main stage and mastering it beautifully. And our friends here at Cook Inlet Keeper. I want to thank our featured guests today, both Whiskey Class and our salmon champions, Drs. Courtney Crothers and Jessica Black. And our fearless producer, Kira Hardy. And we shan't forget our friends who organize and produce Salmon Fest Music Festival. And you're listening to Salmon Salmon Fest Fest Radio. Radio.